Right, I'm going to, uh, in, in this year, I want to put a foc my focus on grace, what grace is in the area of faith. How does faith work? Uh, you know, and uh, it's not going to be just a, a one Sunday message. It will be the theme for the year. Uh, wherein we're going to just see, uh, you know, how God encourages us to a place where we can believe, where we can have a heart persuaded of who and what He is, of who and what we are, um, having an expectation of uh, fruit in our life. Uh, you know, it's wonderful to have the theory of the gospel, to know the gospel. You know, the Bible says <clears throat> we have known and believed the gospel. And we can know that our sins are forgiven. And there is a way of knowing that results into believing, which has its fruit into a life born from God. And that is what we want to see. I mean, God's end goal in life was not just to give you the, uh, the, 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 the short emotion that goes with knowing something uh, by just having knowledge. But he would like you to have experiential knowledge wherein he makes sure that you can experience life. And we can expect that from him. You know, uh, in this year to come, my expectation from God is to feel true peace. Uh, to live by true peace. To have innocence give birth to his quality of life in me. You know, so that we can, what we've always chased after under the law by works experience for free by his doing in our lives <clears throat> so um, I make this pulpit available for the message of righteousness the message of his unconditional love uh, to see you know uh, the wisdom of God manifesting in our lives we will know uh, just intuitively have the knowledge on you know um, you know have a good business idea have have uh, knowledge on how to treat your, you know, that I will have knowledge on how to treat my wife, my children, uh, just supernaturally and just experience his quality of life that flows from peace that is, um, you know, that cannot even be explained in human words. Right, so I'm going to start off with Ephesians, and today we're going to talk about predestination. <clears throat> we're going to talk about predestination. Now, predestination uh, is, I mean, there's a word uh, predestinate in the Bible, which Paul uses many times, where it talks about uh, us being predestined unto something. Now, that word predestined has been taken out of context uh, greatly. You know, saying that God predestined for us or for humans, every individual, to be at a certain place at a certain time, and He predestined that certain things would happen to you so that you can know Him or so that you could be more holy or more righteous. And, uh, you know, when we look at predestination from that perspective, and, and I'm just going to read Webster's definition here, it leaves a sour taste in our mouth. And let's just see what, what Webster says here. Webster says, it's the act of decreeing or foreordaining events. The decree of God by which He has, from eternity, unchangeably appointed or determined whatever comes to pass. Now, um, you know, I don't really agree with Webster's definition here on what uh, predestined mean, but that is how we have seen it in the world for many years. God has predestined that I will marry this person. God has predestined that I will be in this business. God has predestined all these kind of things. And then you, you're left with the question, if God predestined these things, what about all the negative things? And why does negative, why does, has he predestined for the people in Ethiopia to suffer? Why has he predestined for most of the people in Africa to suffer? Why has he predestined for people to lose their children at a young age and all those kind of things? Why is he predestined for people to have cancer? You know, um, and, and that's a definition of predestined according to Webster's. You know, God has predestined these events. But if we go and look at what Strong says about predestined, it means to limit in advance. To limit in advance. Now the best uh, definition and the best explanation of predestined, and um, what I'm going to say today, and I want to just say that beforehand that you know where I'm going, I'm going to show you that God has 
predecided that there will be a certain system by which we can have life. And his predestination is not something that is in the life of the individual as, as um, you know, deciding where you'll stay. Or I, I don't want to, even want to say where you stay because there's one verse people will use in the Bible against that. But where God will say, um, you know, what, what's going to happen to you? You're going you're to have this job or you're going to have this sickness or you're going to have these kids or those kind of things. We clearly know that, you know, it's not God deciding how many kids you'll have. You can decide how many children you want to have. You know, God has also given us certain authority, you know, uh, to, to be, be fruitful and we can multiply. You know, we, we know that. And you try and get your teenagers not to have children, you know, um, and, but sometimes it still happens. You know, I do believe the life that comes forth there is from God. For God has given man the ability to, to, um, you know, to have children and that life that comes forth there, that life that's born there, is God giving life there. You know, but the way He gave life was by giving man the authority and the ability to produce life in that way. You know, by a husband and a wife coming together, you know, or a man and a woman coming together. Well... When I look about, what I want to say about predestination here is that God has predestined that the law system shall not be the system by which man lives. And he pre-limited man that man cannot forever have the system of the law as the system by which he will live. That's what I'm going to say. And that is what I believe predestination really talks about. Uh, I like what, say, uh, what, what uh, um, Strong says here, to limit in advance. The first uh, indication we have of that limitation was in the Garden of Eden. When God came and He said to Adam and Eve that they, He closed the door to the tree of life that they would not be able to eat of the tree of life. Now what does that mean? You know, um, God did that. It was Him limiting in advance something. Before they could eat of it, He limited them that they could not partake of that. What does that mean? Why did God say to Adam and Eve, you cannot enter into the Garden of Eden, you know, um, after the eight of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? This is what the Bible says. Let's stop them from entering into the into the, 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 um, the garden to eat of the tree of life, lest they live forever. What that means is, here is Adam, the representative of mankind. If he could eat of the tree of life, then mankind forever would be alive in the state of the law. What it would mean is that man would forever actually then be in hell. When Jesus comes in Matthew, Matthew 23, He says to the, to the Pharisees, He says to them, the Pharisees are people that found their life in what they do. They found their identity in their flesh. And they wanted to have God's quality of life by their own ability. He says to them, you go over land and sea to make one disciple, one proselyte, and you make him twice as much a son of hell as what you are yourself. Declaring to them that Hell is actually to have a life born from this death called legalism. And then what he said was, a son of hell means to be born of that system. Now, when we are condemned unto hell, it means that we are condemned unto that system and all the death it can ever produce forever. So, what he did was, he said... He gave Adam and Eve the ability to physically multiply and now if they in that state as a representative of mankind would have access to the tree of life, it means that they and mankind forevermore free of their choice would be condemned to hell. And He predestined, He limited in advance that system before we were even born. Do you see how predestination is actually a very a wonderful, loving act of God? And it's only God in His wisdom that can predestine us unto something without overriding, overriding our free will. <laughs> so His predestination was towards a certain way of living. Okay, right. Um, if we, uh, now we're just going to go through Ephesians from chapter, uh, chapter 1 verse 1 
to verse uh, four, 5. And we're just going to walk verse by verse through Ephesians. And having this in mind, we will understand what Ephesians says. Ephesians 1 verse 1, I want to talk about the faithful in Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So Paul comes and he writes a letter. He says, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle. Apostle means sent one. And let me just touch on this quickly. We have seen apostles in the charismatic church um, as somebody with a super anointing, you know, that carries this anointing and then he dishes this anointing out to those that are faithful to him, that serves him, that honors him, and all of those, all of those kind of things. Now, <clears throat> that is not what apostle actually means. The word apostle literally just means to be sent. It's um, if I tell my son, um, go and walk down to the shop and buy a Coke. Then from the day I said that to, or from the moment I said that to him, he's my apostle. That's the Greek word apostle, just to be sent by someone. Uh, here Paul was sent. He was an apostle unto the Gentiles. So he was sent by God to the Gentiles to preach grace. And then he had the ability or the anointing or the gifting to go into a place where the gospel was not preached and establish churches there. He was sent to go and do that. That is all it means. And when we submit to the apostle, all that means is we listen to what he preached and we honor the good news that he preached. Should he not preach the good news, then Paul calls them apostles of the devil then you don't listen to them. <laughs> because they can be sent ones from the evil one, and, and he will come, they will come with his mentality, which is the mentality of, you find your identity by what you do. And we don't submit, Paul says, we have not even submitted, not for a second, or one minute, to that kind of an apostle. Okay, so, just to quickly put something in there about Apostle Paul says, I am sent by Jesus Christ according to the will of God. So it's the will of God that people hear the grace message. And I am sent and I write to you, which are saints in Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, what does it mean to be faithful in Christ Jesus? So many times when we think of our life, you think, am I faithful? You know, am I faithful? And we measure our faithfulness to church attendance. We measure our faithfulness to our financial contribution to the church. We measure our faithfulness to soul winning. Now, it is not wrong to come to church regularly. And it's not wrong to, um, to give regularly. And it's not wrong to win souls. But there's something very wrong if we measure our faithfulness uh, with that. The faithfulness that he talks about here is the faith, faithful in Christ. Now, he writes to two groups of people here. Obviously, he writes to the church in Ephesus, which he calls the saints. The word saints there in the Greek also means um, to be ceremonially clean, which actually includes the human race. Because by the ceremony of a lamb being slain, who was cleansed by that lamb? Everybody the lamb was slain for. And who was the lamb slain for? It was slain for the whole world. So it, this is also directed to everybody and then those that are faithful in Christ. Faithful in Christ means those that are faithful to the doctrine of grace. Those who are faithful to, I am righteous free from my works. Those who are faithful to say, I am not going back to Judaism, I'm not going to live by that. Those who are faithfully saying, this body is available for the resurrection power of Christ to, so that he can bring forth his fruit. Faithfulness is actually uh, um, very well understood in marriage, where a husband and a wife are faithful to each other. What that means is, um, the bottom line of the whole thing is, you don't sleep around. You are not intimate with anybody else but the one you marry to. And Romans 7 clearly says that we, our marriage with the law was ended in the law man dying. And now we as believers, we have accepted our union with Christ. We are unified with Him. We are in marriage with Christ. And now we are faithful to Him. So our faithfulness is, I am not flirting with the law. I'm not flirting with my ego, finding my identity in that which, which I can do in my own life. 
for, for me, um, you know, I'm not flirting with uh, the, the emotion of I, I am what Facebook says on how many likes I get. I, I'm not flirting with that little counter on my website that says how many people over the world are visiting my site. I'm not flirting with the stack of invitations that's in my inbox to go and preach at churches to find my identity from that. I am faithful to Christ. Okay, so let us be faithful. I mean, that's easy. Isn't that, that kind of faithfulness easy? Yeah. Glory to God, you know. Um, so faithful in Christ. Then he says, grace and peace to you. Now just look at this wonderful way. I mean, if we could understand, um, and if I look at my own life, over time you start to really understand what Paul writes. And then it is so enlightening to read what he writes. Like in the next verse, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul comes and he writes a letter, look at how he starts. He starts with what is good. He lays the foundation. So what this practically means is when you start your day, when you think of God, God's voice to you every day, know this, and we can see it is a pattern in the life of Paul. It, God always starts and he lays the foundation saying to you, listen man, grace to you and peace. So when you start to talk to God, when, when you come with any problem, I mean, even if we go and look at, at the, um, the writings in the book of Corinthians, you know, when he wrote to the people in Corinth, the people in Corinth were sexually immoral. One of the guys in the church slept with his own mother. You know, they were, um, they were thinking that they were big shots by who's got the biggest gift. And above all, they got drunk in church at the communion table. That's what these guys did. And then Paul starts his letter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to the saints in Corinth. So what it means is God will never forget that you are ceremonially clean by the blood of the Lamb. And that is the foundation from where He starts any conversation with you. And I can tell you now that if we take all the writings in the Bible, that every writing is directed to get you to understand that you are clean. That's all. Because any fruit that is in your life which doesn't reflect your purity only means that you are not believing what Christ has done. And then it would be ludicrous for God to start the, 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 um, the letter with how dirty you are because if he says you're dirty and you believe it you'll be dirty forever so he has to start the right way and he starts always and I want you to know because in this year to come obviously you know there will be times when you will feel man God you know I've lost my job or God I've applied for a hundred jobs and I'm not getting one or um, I tried this business idea and it didn't work and you, you, you've, got, you've got so many reasons where you can feel accused and guilty and then when you start to talk to God about it know that he will always establish the platform of your um, holiness and righteousness based on what he's done and that's what Paul does here he comes and he says to the saints um, in Ephesus uh, or the holy and then he comes and he says blessed be the uh, sorry and then he comes and he says here grace be to you and peace grace the word grace the divine influence on the heart and the acting out in the life and I've, I've added something because I tried to connect two Greek definitions together here it's a divine influence upon the heart and the acting out in the life because of his merciful kindness to you so what he says is he says listen I want to greet you in the name of Jesus and this is how I greet you Grace, in other words, from God, what God says is, I am still ready all the time to be merciful to you, to treat you so well that my goodness towards you will influence your belief in such a way that Christian virtue can, and, and, and attributes can manifest in your life. That's how God greets people. It's not hi, hi dude. No, it is grace to you. 
glory to God. Thias says grace is the following. It's a merciful kindness by which God exerts his holy influence upon souls. Turns them to Christ, keeps them, strengthens and increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection and kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues. So what he says is grace is of the merciful kindness of God through which exerting his holy influence. A holy influence is through kindness. It's through being merciful. It's through being merciful. Remember last year we ended with, are you willing that God can be merciful to you? Because only in the measure in which you allow God to be merciful to you, in other words, expect Him to be good to you, where you think He's not supposed to be good to you, only in that measure is, will He have a holy influence on your belief, which would be unto the manifestation of Christian virtues. Glory to God. So the only way in which you're going to see Christian virtue in your life is the measure in which you are allow your heart and yourself for, uh, allow God to be merciful to you, to be good to you. Amen. I expect God to be good to me every day. I expect, you know, when I have done something which is not good, where I'm not supposed to have anything, that even in this life, in the things of this life, in a practical way, every day, that God will show vertebrates that He is always good and merciful. And I want to tell you this, the mercy of God is new every morning. It's not going to change. You know, when we enter 2014, you know, you, you look at 2013, you said, Bless God, I've made it. You know, <laughs> I didn't die. You know, I thought, well, I, 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 I don't know if I'm going to do good business. I don't know if, if this is going to work out. I don't know what the stock market's going to do. Maybe, I've in, maybe you're older and you've got a lot of money invested. You don't know what's going to happen with all these investments. And what happened? I made it. At the end of the year, I still felt righteous. I felt loved. I felt God cared for me. And I said, if I look back, man, it's actually going better with me. I want to tell you that God has not changed. And one thing you can expect for 2014 is that God would, will be the same. It would be a scary thing if you expect something different for 2014 than what you expected in 2030. There's one constant, and that is that God's not going to change. Nothing is going to change. He's going to stay the same. The system by which you have life will not change. It's going to have, be the same. He's going to be merciful all the time. And we can have that settled into our hearts, you know. Right. <laughs> then the next verse there. So, so God comes, okay, I want to just touch on the word peace here. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when it, when it talks about peace here, it says the state of one that has no debt. The state that one finds himself in that has no debt. The emotion of not being indebted. So God starts off by saying to you, listen, I'm ready to be merciful to you unto the influence of your belief to the point that my quality of life can manifest in you. In other words, I'm going to be good to you to the point that you feel what it feels like to be like God. Now that's nice if the Almighty greets you that way. If somebody that possesses nothing... If somebody that's got no, uh, 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 no influence, if somebody on the street that you don't know, that you know that doesn't even have uh, any means to get home tonight, says that to you, you might think, well, you know, at least he feels good. But if the creator of the heaven and the earth, which by his presence creates, he calls himself light, the one uh, through whose word all things exist comes to you and tells you I'm ready to be merciful to you today again unto the point that my, through my, me being good to you you'll feel how it feels to be like me and I want to tell you I give you freely, freely the emotion of not being indebted. Then you've got reason to be happy. You've got reason to have joy. Because that is really, really a powerful, uh, I mean a powerful statement from the Almighty. There's substance behind what you believe. 
Okay, then it says here um, that this grace and peace is from the Father and the Son. Now what does that mean? You know, we traditionally believe that the Father got so upset with Adam and Eve that he just felt to kill something. In Afrikaans, we say, hy so kwaad, hy wil slange van. In English, it doesn't just sound right. He got so upset, he wants to go and catch snakes. You know, it's like, it doesn't sound right. Ma, slangefang is, you know, you're really upset. You know, now, God got so upset, he even went past that point, he just felt, let me just murder something that I can feel better. And then Jesus, the wonderful Savior, comes and he saves us from God. You know, Jesus has not come to save you from God. He's come to save you from what kills you, which is legalism. He's the Savior. The moment you see that, you can see what Paul says, grace and peace from the Father and the Son. These two are in unison and they believe the best about you, both of them. Not just one, both of them believe it. Remember, we're still talking about predestination, but we need to understand this loving relationship. Then he goes on and he said, when, he, when Paul comes and he writes this, uh, you know, if you go and read some commentaries about this, it actually says that Paul was shouting out in his letter, exclamation marks in, in the Greek, if you want to call it that way. He said, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3 there, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, just as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So what we see here is Paul comes and he sees that what God has done in the Trinity has got an eternal effect on man. And this is what he says. He says, and I'm just going to use the Greek here, he says, let us speak well of God... Uh, of the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has spoken well of us with all spiritual well-speaking that there can be, or in the Greek, the highest, most eloquent speech that can be found in the heavens in Christ. So what he is actually saying here is that this thing where God comes and He says, peace to you, grace to you, has got a wonderful effect. And what it actually says is, and what our response to that is, let us speak well. Let us bless this God who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings that can be in the heavens. And what is this well speaking in heaven? You know, the well speaking in heaven is the embodiment of God in human flesh. For that is God's word about man. When Jesus is seated in the heavens, He speaks of you. He is speaking, He is saying something of you. He says that the, the law system has ended. He says that all form of distance has been cancelled. That God incarnated Himself into a human being. That human is seated in the Trinity. And that human speaks of mankind. Those of us who believe in Him have received the very same Spirit and that well speaking that is in Jesus, He says something. And this is the wonderful thing He is saying. He is saying that you will have immortality. That is what He's actually saying there. He is saying different things. One of the things He says, you are in union with God. He's saying you are co-seated with God in the Trinity. He says that you are fully the God kind. He says that God, uh, 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 you are God's type. You know, he couldn't find, if, if he wants to find a being to fellowship with, it has to be his own kind, which is human. You are that, that's what it says. And then it speaks about something that he predecided from before time. And God predecided that he wanted, when he said, let us make man, he predecided that man would be somebody that have immortality, that will have eternity when he would have eternity to fellowship with him in the Trinity. And that human being seated in the Trinity there speaks of you. That is the most eloquent speech about you. Jesus is God's word about you. And what does this word says? He says this word is in accordance as he has chosen us 
before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So God has said, before time, He said, I limit, and it manifested the first time in the Garden of Eden, I limit man to be only holy before me. That's the limit I place. That is predestined. He predecided. He's placed a limit. And this is the limit. You cannot go into unholy. I've limited you. I predestined that you will be holy, above blame, before me in love. He's put a limitation. That is predestination. We have all been predestined to holiness. That doesn't mean everybody is saved. It just means that everybody stands in holiness before God. Holy means to be set apart for a certain purpose. We've been set apart for friendship with Him. We've been set apart as a being that can find His birth from God. You know, I've been set apart as a being that God can influence with His goodness and then through that goodness find God's quality of life born in me so that I can be born from His goodness. I've been set apart for that. Where Adam came and he said, no, no, we, uh, listen to the enemy. We, we set man apart for a be as a being. We want to make him holy or set him apart as a being that will have eternal life by observing his own ability and working it. God said, no, I put a limit there. And that limit manifested in Christ where he ended the law system forevermore. Took it out of the way. So that man never, ever will have to be forced or will be under the slavery of legalism. Meaning, you have got no free will. You shall live by the law. Jesus put a limit on that. He predestined us to be holy uh, above, uh, above reproach is one of the English translations. Above reproach. You know, um, I watched the movie. I think I said it here before. I watched the movie and in the movie somebody came and uh, brought in an accusation against the queen. You know, um, and the king, they came to the king and said, but your wife does this, 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 this and this. Then he said to the person that accused her, he said, don't you know that the queen is above reproach? That means she's in a level that even should she do something wrong, you cannot bring an accusation against her, for she is the wife of the king. Now that is what he says there. God has predestined man to be in a place where the accuser cannot even bring an accusation against us, for we have been married with Christ. Isn't that a wonderful... He has predestined us to live that way. To have life that way. That's what He predecided. And what we need to do is, we need to wake up to this truth and then believe this truth. That's why, I think as John said, we have known and believed the love of God. So now we know this truth. Yes, I know this truth. But now, as we go out the door, let us allow this truth to persuade our hearts that we can walk with the full persuasion of this truth, that never can anything bring any accusation against me. The accuser of the brethren has been cast out, the Bible says. Glory to God. Isn't that good news? Well, I'm enjoying the message. Just, oh well, I hear amen from heaven at least. <laughs> Okay, it says, according as He has chosen us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before Him in love. Having pre Now He explains it even further. Because in our lives, we still see lack. And the lack we see is, we find that in our human bodies, we still possess the ability that should we be under the law, should we start to think legalistically about things, we find that the fruit of the flesh start to manifest in us. There are people, you know, that believe that um, we don't have that ability anymore. That should you be a Christian and you became a believer, that um, the, 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 the old, old way of living does not exist anymore. No, we, we as Christians, we say that the old man, which is the law man. The old man, let me explain the old man. 
The old man, there's two things the old man is not. The old man is not your earthly father. You know, the old man. Another thing that the old man is not the sin you lived when you weren't a believer. That's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about the old man. The Bible talks about the passions of the old man as the sinful life you lived. But the old man is the man that stood before God based on works. That old man has died. Now, he doesn't exist anymore. But should I go and take the principles of that old man, which was righteousness by works, I will find the fruit, the passions of the old man living me. And that's why Paul comes, he says, listen, you have laid down the old man and his passions. So in other words, we can now expect the new man, which is the man in union with Christ and his passions, which would be love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness, manifest in our lives by the power of His resurrection. Okay, so now, we today still see that we in this human body still possess the ability to become legalistic and live by that. Now that is still in our bodies. We cannot declare that as perfection. Still do we possess the ability to die. We, we become older. You know, the other day I took a picture of my son and I, um, and maybe some of you saw on Facebook, with Henry and I, and then I only took the red hair, you know, and made the whole picture black and white, and just the red hair showed that the natural color and put it on Facebook. So I wanted to put the natural color of my hair in as well. <laughs> and nothing on the pictures changed. It was still black and white. <laughs> Uh, you, you know the picture on Facebook, it is the, my natural color, <laughs> you know, those of you that watch. I did put the natural color in there, but it remains black and white. So, um, you become older, you know, you don't feel the way you felt when you were 17 years of age, when you felt that uh, I can never die. You know, you start to realize, you know, when you become 40, you're like almost halfway there. <laughs> You know, it's like an underlying st stress, you know, that's there, you know. And as you get older, you count the years. You know, most people make, you know, 85 becomes old, 90 is really old, and, you know, I'm 70. So what does that mean? I've got 15 years, you know, and things like that start to play tricks in your mind. Be why? Because we are confronted with mortality. We are mortals. But what God talks about immortality here, or what He talks about perfection here, and this is what He says here, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Now, next Sunday I'm going to continue on adoption um, because I will not have time to explain everything now. But the adoption that He talks about here talks about humans being made immortal. Adoption here does not talk about us being adopted like what we would uh, feel pity. Maybe, maybe we can't have children. Then we'll adopt someone else that doesn't want their child. You know, and we'll adopt that child. Making that child a child that lives in our house, but is not actually our child. It's not born from us. Now, in Christianity, God didn't take the children of the devil and adopted them as his children. We are not the children of the devil. We're not the children of anything. We are the creation of God. Every human being on the planet, even if he's not a believer, lives and moves and have, has his being in God. He is the God kind. God is the one that made him. He functioned like God. He's a person that lives from the persuasion of his heart, the understanding of his mind, the belief unto, believe unto some things, that function by uh, uh, being a, a, a person that can receive mercy and kindness and live in family relationship. We find our being in God. We don't find our being in animal. So we are all the creation of God. We are all, in that sense, the children of God. You know, but as I have a child, you know, I find, I mean, I've got three children and, um, you know, the one can be, can like the mom more than the dad and you can find that the mom lives in him. You know, so he's more born of the mom than from the dad. The other one can like the dad more or, or the things that the dad does and you can find the father lives in him because he believes more in the father that you can find, but I am now 
his actions is actually born from me because he believes in me. In the very same way we talk here about adoption. Adoption is not God uh, willing to take a child that's not his and make it his. We are his children. And then when we believe in him, we find that the life we have is now born from him. And then in uh, Judaism, uh, the, the adoption would be when the son is placed in the same authority as the father concerning business. That would mean that the son has got the same signing right on the check as what the father has. Now we today don't stand in the same authority as what Jesus does. Jesus has got authority over physical death, which we don't have. And then the Bible says we shall be adopted, we shall be placed in equal authority with Christ in His return, and then we will have authority over physical death, and we will possess immortality. And that is what it says there, and that is what adoption means. So never feel that you're an adopted child. That emotion is not supposed to ever enter your heart. You're not an adopted child as you were a child of the devil or the child of I don't know who or what and now God adopted you. Now next Sunday I'm going to explain this in detail so don't think that I've fallen off the bus. I do believe that there is an adoption which, which, by which we call Abba Father and I will explain all of that. But what, he was, what he's saying here is he predecided that we will be holy and blameless before him. One of, the, one of the blameless things that he mentioned there is that we shall have immortality. Now how does that apply to our life? And let me end with that. How does that practically apply to our life? In this human body, we find that through legalism, we see so many negative things manifest in our life. And we don't have the fruit of peace the fruit of joy, the fruit of all those things. We many times walk with an, an, uh, an accusation in our hearts where we feel guilty, where we look at our finances, where we look at how people treat us, we look at family relationships and there's arguments and, and we, I mean, we don't trust each other and we live in the things of this world which want to accuse us, which wants to enter the heavens and stand before God as an accuser. Many times we go before God as the accuser ourselves. We take the role of the devil and we accuse ourselves before God. You know, where the enemy doesn't even have a, a road, but we have. And we can stand before God and we accuse ourselves. You know, here it says that we, He has predestined us to be holy. Holy means to be set apart. Then it says above reproach and perfect blameless that, that blamelessness doesn't just talk about being set apart it talks about you in your human body possessing immortality and it also says that in this life the power of the flesh has lost its power to the point that it cannot manifest all these evil things in your life anymore now you might say Bertie you don't you have then sins in your life yes I do have things in my life that I don't want to be there um, but what that all that means is the measure in which I see things that are not supposed to be there is what God tells is telling me through that not by doing that to me that, that's just his voice his voice saying Bertie you see these things that is killing you that's condemning you in every area there I want to explain to you how much I love you I want to explain to you how you are accepted I want to explain to you how I've made you perfect so that you can see my fruit effortlessly manifest in your life. So get yourself ready for a wonderful love relationship with me. Uh, put some time maybe aside where, where you can just meditate and think upon my goodness. I'm going to reprogram your heart. Are you willing? That's all. That's, that's what I see in those areas of my life. Um, and that's what I expect. I'm not seeing a God pointing a finger. And the power that can make me immortal, what that means is that we as Christians see the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is Him bringing forth normal fruit in our life by His doing, even manifesting it unto immortality in the return of Christ. So you have been predestined to be a human in a physical body, having a wonderful relationship with God possessing the ability to receive love and mercy and grace seeing his life manifest in you and you will be a human forever for you shall receive an immortal human body 
and so be with God. I want to leave you with this thought. Never think because you are a human that that is a bad thing. Humans are the crown of God's creation. If you watch 50-50, they make the shark the crown of God's creation. They make the lion the crown of God's creation. And they want to make humans evil. For those of you that are overseas, don't know what 50-50 is. It's a program, nature program in South Africa that just makes nature everything. It will almost be something like uh, National Geographic or something like that. Where we are the evil ones. No. If you go and look at lions, you know, they fight all the time. They kill each other. If another male comes, he chases off the other male. And then what does he do? He kills those, those cubs, eats them. Because only his seed. That is animals. We're not like that. You know, so I want you to know, it is a good thing to be a human. It's a wonderful thing. And God looks at a human body with metrots in sy heart, you know, with pride. He says, man, that's what I've made. And that is what I look like. I possess immortality and so shall they. And that your body has been designed as a place where in absolute peace and joy can manifest. Today and for the rest of your life. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for your mercy. And as there are people here that is watching uh, via the internet, people that are sitting here today, I thank you, Lord, that your hand is extended towards them. You know, maybe you are here or you're watching and you've been struggling with sickness in your body. You've been struggling with disease. You know, if there are people that we're going to pray for today that um, struggle with uh, um, cancer. There are two people specifically uh, that we're going to pray for. And, uh, you know, uh, and just for, for some other people we're going to pray. And I want everybody that is seated here. Maybe you struggle with sickness in your body. Maybe you struggle with some things that you know is not supposed to be there in your life. And it's a new year and you're saying, man, I want this year to, to... I've got a new year's resolution. You know, forget about the new year's resolution. Let us just make use of what Christ has done so that the new life can manifest. There's a God that loves you more than what you could ever do for Him. There's a God that loves you and His hand is extended towards you. He's calling you to sit with Him and rest with Him. And He is speaking loud and clear your righteousness today. And all you say is, God, my heart is open to be fully persuaded of this. And I'm expecting a great persuasion in my heart. And I'm walking with the persuasion that you're giving me during the service. And I'm expecting fruit based on this persuasion. I want to tell you only... The, the, the grace of God manifests in our lives in accordance to our persuasion of this truth. In no other way. And as this persuasion that you are righteous, as this persuasion that you are co-seated is in your heart, right now, expect healing to manifest in your body. Expect you know, whatever you're going to do this year, the, 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 just a blessing of God resting upon that. If you are in difficult times, that's already happened, expect peace to manifest in you. If you need a job, whatever you need, in this time, you can just have that expectation that I, as a child, stand before my father and I just know that this is the need I have. I need provision for this year. And I have got a father that will provide for me all the time. You don't have to name and claim or anything because all your provision, all your care, all your health, all your understanding is taken care of in the person of God. Maybe you are here and you are watching and saying, Bertie, I, I just need a better revelation of grace. I need to understand things. I want, I want in this year just to know God for who He truly is. I want to tell you, all you can do is say, I 
allow this body to be the place where God manifests all His goodness. It's not something you've got to try and work up to. It's something you expect Him to do. And you will find understanding come to you. The more you chase after understanding, the less you'll understand. The more you rest, the more you understand. Thank you, Father. I come right now and I stretch forth my hands to every person here that's got sickness in his body. Whatever stress you have, whatever answer you need, I declare in the name of Jesus Christ that you have a Father that calls himself Abba, that says, first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. And he adds unto you peace, he adds unto you joy, he adds unto you wisdom, he adds unto you supernaturally uh, uh, some connection with somebody that will happen effortlessly by his doing. He adds unto you the absolute passion that the end goal is not earthly things but just a relationship with Him. And He washes you right now in that understanding in Jesus' mighty name. I come right now and I just speak over my friend Steve and I just say that your wife, that cancer <clears throat> that she has is healed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. And, and just uh, with Derek's uh, daughter-in-law, the same thing, ovarian cancer, we just speak and say that that cancer is healed. In the Spirit, we all stand together in front of your throne. And in front of your throne, the Bible says, the pestilence goes before you. And as we stand before your throne, that pestilence has just left their bodies. Right now, in Jesus' mighty name, I thank you, Lord, that that operation will not be needed anymore because of your doing. Cancer is healed. We're not even trying to speak healing. We are declaring that she is really fully healed in Jesus' name. And Annette, where she's going to go for an operation, we declare that that is fully successful and that she will not walk with pain in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I just feel in my spirit to do this. If there's anybody watching via the internet and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord, this is the time. I would like you to pray with me this prayer. Just pray and say, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for loving me. Thank you for getting me to watch this broadcast. I accept my innocence. I accept my forgiveness. You are my representative and I receive this spirit of perfection, the spirit of God, right now into my life. I am not born from legalism anymore, but as from today, I find my life born from innocence. I find my life born from what you've done upon the cross. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. I receive the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Glory to God. You are deeply loved by God. Thank you so much. Those of you, uh, first, oh, I, I want to do this before the service, but I forgot. Those of you that, um, that gave during the holidays, that put money into the bank account, thank you so much. We could pay everything. And uh, those of you that want to give, you can give over there. And please, um, you know, order the CDs and give it to some of your friends that need this. God bless.